Following a very long period of fairly stable prices, Americans are now experiencing the sharpest rise in inflation in decades. Now, while we aren't seeing the double-digit inflation rates the country faced back in the 1970s and early 80s, Americans are paying higher prices for just about everything, from groceries and gas to cars and computer chips. So what's triggered inflation's return after such a long lull? And what might it mean for how we save, spend, and invest for the future? Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Merrill Perspectives podcast. I'm Candace Browning, head of B of A Global Research. Today's program is all about inflation and what it could mean for us as consumers and investors, and as workers and retirees. We'll look at the factors driving it higher and what could it take for inflation to get back to quote unquote normal. We'll also consider what inflation could mean for our financial lives and offer steps that you could take now to prepare for what could come next. Joining me for this conversation are Chris Heisey, Chief Investment Officer for Merrill and Bank of America Private Bank. Hello, Candace. And Ethan Harris, Head of Global Economics for B of A Global Research. Hey, Candace. Ethan, let's start with you. The U.S. inflation rate soared in 2021, clocking in at the highest pace in about 40 years. What's your take on what's going on here? And could these higher prices be with us for a while? Well, this is really a perfect storm in the inflation picture. You have a combination of very strong spending running up against limited supply of goods and services. On the demand side, you've had very aggressive fiscal policy with a repeated waves of new government stimulus coming into the economy. You've also had a zero interest rate policy from the Fed. And the combination of those two along with the reopening of the economy, is creating very high demand and putting pressure on markets. On the other side of the equation, the COVID crisis and the very high demand for goods is creating shortage issues, shortages of workers, shortages of components. And so when you put the two together, you're looking at very high short-term inflation. Now, we do expect inflation to come down. We don't think we're going to be at the kind of 7% level or so that we started the year forever, but it's going to stick a bit. It's going to take a while, and people should get used to the idea that the very low inflation of the past is not coming back. So, Chris, there's growing concerns over both inflation and rising rates, and that has triggered a huge bout of volatility in the markets recently, both in stocks and bonds. So what do you make of that market reaction and what do you think is most important for investors to stay focused on, especially if this volatility continues? Yes, Kansas, I think it's quite fascinating to watch the different markets and how they're discounted whether inflation was coming or not initially, what they're doing about it now and what they're signaling about it for tomorrow. This year, there's significant repositioning going on in terms of what you own to protect against inflation or benefit from pricing power. And that has increased volatility because a good portion of the growth part of the market, which has been owned for the better part of the last 10 years, tends to be pressured when rates go up. And there's a recycling of money going from the high growth areas to the higher quality, more value-oriented areas of the market. That's number one. In the bond market, the longer dated areas of the bond market, the 10-year and up space, 
is basically still signaling that inflation in the long run is still not an issue. But yet the shorter term measures are signaling it is. So what should we stay focused on? This is a word that is so often discussed, but sometimes not practiced, and that's diversification. And we want to have our highest level of diversification across assets at this stage of the cycle. Move towards higher quality investments, whether that means good balance sheets, high cash companies, areas that can have pricing power, areas that are of good value and ultimately are not as harmed by rising rates, and in areas where there's extreme weakness in the equity markets, use weakness as an opportunity to reposition and rebalance portfolios, not just exit and move to the sidelines. So Ethan, going back to you, what the Federal Reserve does from here is obviously going to be key, and it's a very delicate job. They need to get inflation under control, but in a way that doesn't derail the economic recovery or put a damper on the job market. Do you think they can actually achieve both of those goals? Or does tighter monetary policy mean some slowdown in economic growth is actually ahead? Well, I think the Fed has some catching up to do here. This has been going on for months now, these very high inflation readings, and they have not moved very quickly at all in this cycle. Our guess is that the Fed will end up hiking at each meeting this year and then hike a few more times in 2023. That will mean a kind of a gradual containment of some of this pressure in the economy. We think the economy is going to be fine for 2022, but as the Fed keeps going here, depending on how hard they hit the brakes, 2023 should be a weaker growth period. And indeed, you can't 100% rule out a recession down the road. So it's a cycle where the Fed, at least initially, is only a modest constraint on activity, but eventually could become a serious constraint. So, Ethan, you know, if you think about inflation as being too many dollars chasing too few goods, what about supply chains coming back and the physical side of inflation? What should we be looking at and tracking on that side? Well, it's extremely important for the inflation outlook that supply chains re-engage. We need to get more people back to work as they have less fear of getting COVID in the job. We need to fix these supply chain issues around shortages of components, shortages of transportation capability. Those should improve over time. It's not going to happen in a few months. It should be over the course of a year or so. That is very important to getting the inflation down. The Fed can't really do it on its own. It needs some help from an improving supply of goods and services. Chris, we also have midterm elections coming up later this year, and the outcome of those could potentially change the political makeup in Congress. How important do you think inflation could be at the ballot box? Yeah, there's a number of recent surveys that suggest it's either number one or number two as it relates to the importance level. You see that in focus groups. You see it out there in the market already. So certainly, we'll be watching that very closely. I think also important is as inflation peaks out, at what level does that come down and start to bottom out at? What does that mean for the average voter or the citizen out there? It could mean that wage growth stays below the level of inflation. In other words, negative personal income or negative purchasing power, even though wage growth is picked up. That's something to watch very aggressively. And 
will likely be a very strong topic as we move towards the midterm elections. So Chris, you mentioned the average voter or the average person. Let's take a closer look at what all this could mean for our financial lives. Ethan, I'm particularly interested in where food and energy prices could go next, as well as housing and so-called shelter costs. Do you think that those areas are going to take larger bites out of household budgets as we go forward? Well, I think the main shock from higher food and energy has already happened, and it has been quite painful. For low-income households, food and energy is an extremely important part of their budget. I do think that things will settle down a bit in those areas. That'll help take some of the burden away from low-income households. On the other hand, if you talk about rent, rents are on a pretty strong upward trend, and it's going to be very hard to cool down the rental market. It takes a long time to build new, construct new apartment buildings, so rents could be quite strong for quite a while. So it's a mixed picture going forward with continued pressure from the rental market. So Chris, how do you see corporate profits holding up in this environment? Are there particular sectors or industries that tend to fare better when prices are rising and maybe others that struggle? Yes, Candace, this is another very interesting area. There's a lot of different elements at play here as we move through 2022 that are different than last year and even 2020. As we move into 22, pricing power is evident in some sectors and industries, particularly energy, some parts of materials, some parts of industrials. But trying to pass it on further is starting to pressure some of the areas like restaurants, retail in general, and those industries that have high labor components because of wage growth. But when you roll it all up, we're still noticing that margins are hanging in there. Corporate profits are still strong, We are noticing, however, a little bit of estimate revisions just slightly lower than when guidance was just about a month ago. So we're noticing the fact that potentially later this year, margins could start to contract. So Ethan, let's talk a little bit about wages and job growth. What does inflation mean for wages and job growth? Is now an ideal time to ask for a raise? Yeah, that was the title, actually, of one of our weekly pieces. Yeah, I mean, the labor market is strong. It had a little bit of a hiccup around some of these Omicron and other COVID waves. But job growth is fundamentally strong, and it will continue to be strong through the rest of the year. You have a worker shortage that's only going to be partly alleviated by workers coming back to the job market. And so workers' wage negotiating power should remain strong. So while wages may not be growing quite as fast as they have at the start of the year, they're still going to remain above normal levels. We're kind of in that later part of the cycle where with low unemployment, workers get a little bit better negotiating power. And so that means low unemployment rate and solid wage growth. Ethan, can you talk a little bit more about the labor market and particularly all the people who are still on the sidelines in the labor market and the quit rate? And how important is getting those people potentially back into the labor force for bringing down inflation? Well, the labor supply picture is very mixed. You have a good chunk of people who've left the labor market on a permanent basis. You had a lot of early retirements for households that had strong wealth holdings and could afford an early retirement. You've had some 200 couples where one member of the families decided to stay home with the kids 
So there is a permanent component to some of this abandonment of the job market. But there's also another group that is basically waiting for the go signal. They're waiting to see they're comfortable with the effectiveness of the vaccine, the reduction in the number of cases, and they're ready to go back and re-engage. That effect is very important for these sectors with tight labor market conditions. So we really need to see those workers come back if we're to avoid even more wage and price pressure. Chris, you heard Ethan mention retirements and that there were a number of early retirements. How does what we're discussing here affect people who are nearing retirement and the value of their earnings over time and their savings? Could rising interest rates potentially be a good thing for people who rely on bonds for some of their income? It's a fascinating topic, interesting by itself, but in regard to this cycle, it's even more important. In terms of retirement and the value of savings over time at this juncture, what we're noticing is twofold. We're still on the front side where inflation has yet to peak. The response by the central banks, not just the Federal Reserve, but others around the world is, you could call it soon to be, if not now, a synchronized tightening cycle. And what we're witnessing is, is the beneficiaries of that are still the areas that have been traditional beneficiaries, equities, because of rising revenues through pricing power, and then ultimately operating leverage is still good, and you get better profits. And there are specific areas of equities that are doing better than others. But to your point, Candace, the benefit to savers and retirement income down the line when ultimately the hiking cycle gets halfway through, the longer dated interest rates start to slow down, the yield curve begins to flatten, and ultimately you can start to move towards longer duration securities, which tend to have more retirement income in them. And that's where you start to benefit from higher yields, whether it's your cash allocation because now you're getting a higher yield than zero, or it's longer dated bonds. We're still on the front side, but as we get closer and closer to 23, retirement and savers in particular should benefit better then than they do today. So Chris, last question for you. If higher inflation is with us for a while longer, and it sounds like it will be, does it call for a change in how we approach things like asset allocation and diversification? And are there steps that we as investors should take now to help offset some of these long-term effects? You always start with your plan. There should be no change to that. And what are you trying to achieve? If you know your objectives and you know the kind of investor you are, then you could have a much, what I would call a more robust asset allocation designed for that. Now, as inflation stays a little higher, it might mean increasing your risk a little bit, coming into more dividend-growing equities within the equity space. So I think no change to how you think about investing or your objectives or the diversification elements, but certainly adjusting your risk profile while you're still on the front side of the inflation dynamic should be considered. Well, great. Thank you. I think that's really good advice to close with. So Chris and Ethan, thank you both for joining me in this conversation. And thank you all for tuning in to this edition of the Merrill Perspectives podcast. My co-hosts have been Chris Heisey, Chief Investment Officer for Merrill and Bank of America Private Bank, and Ethan Harris, Head of Global Economics for B of A Global Research. I'm Candace Browning, Head of B of A Global Research. To learn more about our latest insights on the markets, please visit ml.com. And you can sign up for Merrill Perspectives wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for listening. 
This podcast was recorded on February 9th, 2022. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute an offer to buy or sell any securities or investment products. You should carefully consider all relevant factors in making these decisions, and you are encouraged to consult with any of your professional advisors. Any opinions or other information correspond to the date of this recording and are subject to change. The views expressed are not necessarily those of Bank of America Private Bank or Merrill. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or any recommendation from any Bank of America Private Bank or Merrill Lynch, Pierce, Fenner & Smith entity to the listener. The information is general in nature and is not intended to provide personal investment advice. The information does not take into account the specific investment objectives, financial situation, and particular needs of any specific person who may receive it. Investors should understand the statements regarding future prospects may not be realized. Asset allocation, diversification, and rebalancing do not ensure a profit or protect against loss in declining markets. Investments have varying degrees of risk. Some of the risks involved with equity securities include the possibility that the value of the stocks may fluctuate in response to events specific to the companies or markets, as well as economic, political, or social events in the U.S. or abroad. Bonds are subject to interest rate, inflation, and credit risks. Investments in a certain industry or sector may pose additional risk due to lack of diversification and sector concentration. Bank of America, Merrill, their affiliates and advisors do not provide legal, tax, or accounting advice. Clients should consult their legal and or tax advisors before making any financial decisions. The Chief Investment Office, CIO, provides thought leadership in wealth management, investment strategy and global markets, portfolio management solutions, due diligence, and solutions oversight and data analytics. CIO viewpoints are developed for Bank of America Private Bank, a division of Bank of America NA, Bank of America, and Merrill Lynch, Pierce, Fenner & Smith Incorporated, MLPFNS, or Merrill, a registered broker-dealer, registered investment advisor, and a wholly owned subsidiary of Bank of America Corporation, B of A Corp. B of A Global Research is research produced by B of A Securities, Inc., B of AS, and or one or more of its affiliates. B of AS is a registered broker-dealer, member SIPC, and a wholly owned subsidiary of Bank of America Corporation. Merrill Lynch, Pierce, Fenner & Smith Incorporated, also referred to as MLPFNS or Merrill, makes available certain investment products, sponsored, managed, distributed, or provided by companies that are affiliates of B of A Corp. MLPFNS is a registered broker-dealer, registered investment advisor, member SIPC, and a wholly owned subsidiary of B of A Corp. Bank of America Private Bank is a division of Bank of America N.A., member FDIC, and a wholly owned subsidiary of B of A Corp. Investment products are not FDIC insured, are not bank guaranteed, and may lose value. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. Neither Bank of America Private Bank or Merrill, nor any of their affiliates, makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast. And any liability, therefore, including in respect to direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. Copyright 2022, Bank of America Corporation, all rights reserved.